52 episodes, 52 ordinary people, 52 real stories about things that affect overall health. Because there is a lot more that goes into being healthy than food and fitness. Inspiration, support, a new perspective, and knowledge. You'll find that and more here on the HealthAbility Project. Hi, welcome to the HealthAbility Project. I'm Robin McKenna. Having a sense of purpose has become a focal point of our lives, whether we realize it or not. For some, it's obvious, passion projects, missions, and the like. For others, it's less obvious, and it's more about getting involved in something because we feel it's the right thing to do. That thing, though, can be a catalyst for so much more than just the act of getting involved. Here to share her story of how having a purpose evolved into so much more and affected her overall health and well-being is Cynthia Davis. Cynthia is a decorative artist in Fairfield, Connecticut. She has a Master's of Art in Intercultural Service Leadership and Management from SIT School of International Training in Brattleboro, Vermont, and also holds a professional certificate degree from SIT in Conflict Transformation. She is the founder of Our Woven Community, a program providing income and community integration through small business for refugee women in Bridgeport, Connecticut. She is both a certified yoga instructor and a certified plant-based nutrition coach. Cynthia teaches yoga to refugee women in conjunction with CIRI, Connecticut's Institute for Refugees and Immigrants. Cynthia, thanks so much for joining me today. I am so glad to have you with me on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I I feel like our conversation is going to be super interesting So you and I talked a while back about a sense of purpose and going through life and and having that sense of purpose. And for you, at some point in time, you were in this process of a sense of purpose and and the things that you're doing around community organizing and and being invested in the community, not only yourself, but with your children. And at some Mm -hmm. point in time, you came to realize that it was, it had evolved into so much more than just what you were doing within the community. And so I was wondering if you could share your journey with us. Sure. Thank you so much. I would love to. Yeah, it's hard to know exactly when that shift happened. And I I think I had mentioned to you when we were talking that, you know, very, very often people have this sort of midlife change or some people call it a crisis. Um, But you know, so it sort of was in that time frame of my kids starting to get a little bit older mm-hmm. that um, they were really involved in some very um, serious issues with regard to um, what was happening in South Sudan, which at the time was the country of Sudan before they separated, mm-hmm. and um, in Darfur. And I just was always interested in studying um, what my kids were studying so I could have conversations with them. And um somehow this this area this this whole um conflict really captured me and intrigued me and there was a particular part of it which had to do with 17,000 young men called I'll say quote unquote the lost boys in Sudan who had escaped um during a civil war 
and walked all the way across the country and found their way as their villages were being, you know, burned down. They survived by finding each other as as young men. And anyway, long story short of that, I I met one of the um, young men who came to speak in our community when my kids were working on this topic. And it was at a time in my life, I think, when I just felt like I was starting to get a little bit more time in my life. My kids were getting older. And although I've been an artist for many years, there was something sort of maybe missing a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, And I feel like when there's something missing, you sometimes look to other things and in, in your relationships that you're close with and maybe try to change those or change other people or change things to fit into something that will feel better. And I noticed a little bit that I was doing that. And I, I just, I don't know, there was something that really captured me about the young man that I heard speak at that time about his values, um, even though he had escaped war in another part of the world. And here I was living a a nice life here in Connecticut. We had very similar values, the values of education, um, love and family, and, you know, feeling that, that sense of need to connect with people. So I ended up connecting with him after he spoke and becoming involved in helping him to um, raise money his goal was to build a school back in this village um, in South Sudan. So I ended up on his board for several years and very involved to the point where I went to see this school after it was built, after we had raised the money, I went to South Sudan, which was a really, um, yeah, it was a difficult thing to get across to my family, but I, it grew into a very deep, um, meaningful experience that, you know, I think, it sort of went almost too far and then had to pull itself back. And it did pull itself back to being more local and more community. You know, there's a lot of stuff in the middle, but um, I think the purpose part is that this story of my involvement with this young man, his name is Gabriel Bolding. You can look him up. He's a wonderful human being who has done so much and went back after 20 years of having escaped war to find his parents had perished and his village, you know, was so, was, you know, kids, hundreds of kids just coming to learn underneath the tree and wanted to build a school. So it just captured me so much that I I did go there. I ended up going back to, to school at 50 years old to get my master's degree in intercultural service leadership. And that's where I really came to understand that, this was a passion that could be served here locally, that although the needs and things that I did to to kind of work on this project were helpful, I learned a big lesson during that time and found a sense of purpose right here at home. Um, and that's a whole other side to the story. So I'll let you. <laughs> what What exactly was the lesson that you learned? Was it a lesson of wanting that you you learned about yourself that you wanted to give more or that you could give more on a deeper level to to help others or no actually it's other? interesting that the lesson that i learned was that i wasn't really helping on that level that that giving and helping others that there 
and I'll be very transparent here, that there's, even though you don't realize it, sometimes there's an attachment mm-hmm. to that feeling of giving that you're going to see the results of something that you've taken part in. That was never my intention. But when I was there, I had this realization when I was in South Sudan and I had traveled with a a nurse, um, a young woman who um, at the time was in a fellowship project with me, um, which is another story, but that's, she had said, I want to go with you. And, you know, I realized when we were on this trip, she was um, 28 years old. She was a nurse for Mass General Hospital and she was very needed there. Um, The health issues were really, really acute. And I realized when I was there that I went to be helpful. Uh, We raised the money for the school. I had ideas for the women in the village to, we were going to work on um, creating kind of programs for women to have a cooperative of all different kinds of ideas. We met with the women there. But I guess to answer your question, I came back realizing like this, it wasn't necessary for me to be there, I guess is what I'm saying. Like it was necessary for the person I went with to be there. And certainly it gives people a sense of hope when someone visits them in such a far corner of the world that they don't see a lot of outsiders. And it was a beautiful, ceremonious, amazing visit. They draped, you know, fabrics over us and we we had ceremonies and we got to see the school and meet so many beautiful people. I will be deep, deep in my heart. But the lesson, I think, and the growth is kind of a little opposite of what you would think. But do you think, though, if you had never gone, you might never have come to that conclusion about that you weren't being helpful and that you could be helpful or more helpful locally? A hundred percent. First of all, I totally agree. Everything that happens in our life, it's like, okay, Ram Dass my, is my favorite philosopher. One of his favorite things to say is that our life is our curriculum and we're whatever class we're in or whatever course is whatever is happening, we have a lesson to learn. And I, I absolutely needed to do that trip. There was definitely things that I'm sure were significant about my being there, but mostly it catapulted me into a place of going back to get my master's degree at 50 years old, because I came back feeling like, what am I really offering here and how, and, and it just, that's where the sense of purpose started to get deeper because it wasn't just about this project and this trip. It was about, you know, it was about something bigger Mm. that, could be offered from within. Do you know what I'm saying? It was like, sure, sure. not just like taking this trip and being able to um, have connected with this project that I had made a significant contribution to and worked really hard for. And, you know, people wanted to see pictures and hear about and all that, but I was already on to the next feeling like, okay, this there's got to be more significance from this. And going back to to do this degree is what gave me the education and the understanding about refugees and their kind of resettlement situation in our own country. Like, what does it take to resettle yourself in a brand new world coming from war with so many obstacles and so many things going against you? And 
So Gabriel's story, which was, you know, had brought me to South Sudan, you know, was really, it really brought me back to his story, which was being resettled here in the U.S. And how did he manage that? And and who's here to bring community and people together when they are starting a life here? Mm -hmm. So it just, it just grew from there. And the sense of purpose, I think, helped once I started to notice that in myself, it's kind of that, that awareness of yourself, the awareness of your own personal limitations that allowed me to, to have a better understanding of my relationships outside of this. And I know that sounds disconnected, but if you think about it of, you know, when you're, when you're trying to change someone else, like your spouse or someone else that you have a relationship with, it's, I realized at that point that it was more about me changing myself than trying to get what I wanted out of somebody else. Does that make sense? It certainly does. It certainly <laughs> does. And and when you came to that realization, did you notice, I don't know, a release of tension or stress or some kind of pressure that you maybe had imposed on yourself because you've turned the attention from outward to inward? I think it's a long journey. And I think it is for anyone who embarks upon, I'll call it an awareness or mindfulness journey. Um, I am a yoga teacher, but that also didn't happen till later and like even later than this. And, And that journey of awareness of yourself, once you get on it, it doesn't, it doesn't end, right? So you can you can never get off. You can fall off and be back in your old ways of, you know, just not totally tuned in. But you, when you get back on, you're you're one step ahead on the on the track. And I so when you say did that awareness, I don't think it. I even noticed that it was an awareness until, you know, the the building of it of each thing. Because it went from that into a local program, which right. I know you you know about, which our woven community, which we can talk about. But it even took me years into that to really start to feel like. But yeah, I guess my my question is more about you. You know, you talk a little earlier about um, trying to focus on changing other people or mm-hmm. other things rather than yourself. And you got to a point on this journey where you realized or became aware that you were going to change you or that you were changing. And I'm just wondering, was there, I don't know, like a sense of relief or a sense of comfortability, comfortability to, to because of that epiphany? Well, well, that's also, okay, that's a very interesting question because I think at the time, if you want to say like, that peak time, that peak moment, I would say it would be when I was coming back from that trip from South Sudan. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll say the main relationship is my husband of now 35 years, who I adore. But at that time, that awareness was happening in both of us, his awareness of my interests, my, and, and the effect that it had was more like a bomb going off at first mm-hmm. than a a nice release because it came to kind of a head because in one person's mind, it can be like, this person's going off the deep end with all of these things. Mm -hmm. And so that took a lot. It took a lot of smoothing out to get to a place where 
I think there was an understanding that these things that I was incorporating and loving were creating space for things that he loved more, more space for him. But at first it felt, I think a little threatening. So, you know, it, it wasn't just a joyful kind of release because there's relationships involved. And you, whenever you do something for yourself and your energy changes within yourself for good or bad, it affects other people. Right. So, but it did, but, but over after that smoothness and that work on that work happened, then yes, there's been an, a definite release of tension and that's grown. That's why when I said it's a journey, it's like just continued to grow. It's like an unattachment from a lot of things that just keeps feeling freer and freer and freer, you know, so it just continues as a journey, I guess, is what I, how I really feel about it. And liberating to a certain extent, you talk about letting go of the stuff that I don't know, maybe unknowingly is holding you back or preventing you from this higher sense of being? I think what's liberating is when you realize that you can do things that are meaningful, that feel meaningful to you and actually have purpose. Mm -hmm. But for me, be unattached to receiving admiration, Mm -hmm. receiving awards, receiving any, you know, just doing it because you know that it's the right thing to do, you know, and I'm, I think that that's a big amount of growth. And not to say I went in it for those other things, but there were a lot of those things initially. And now it's like when I hear a volunteer speaking for the program that might have started back, you know, I'm just so happy that other people are feeling that sense of purpose from something that might've been started years ago when I was looking for that. But now it's, they're getting it from it. And it's, I'm stepping back with more of that liberated feeling. Does that make sense? It absolutely does. And it's super rewarding too. And that's a great feeling. That to me is the best accolade when you feel that reward for others, that they're, they're getting out of it similar to what you have gotten out of it. And you've just kind of laid the groundwork for them to go and get it. So, and yeah, because it, it, there is a sense of feeling, I don't know if it's, it's pride or just like you spending your time and time for all of us is so precious. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're volunteering your time, you want to have a sense of purpose from it. And I love seeing volunteers in the program that we do here. I love watching them. I love seeing that they connect to their own purpose along with the mission of the program and that they they feel you know as just like you said a sense of purpose mm-hmm. uh, and like any other kind of business or group or community there's a culture that's created by the people that are doing it and the growth with me is I just want this community to feel connected and from the refugee women that we work with. And I know we haven't really talked about this program, but um, you will. <laughs> the volunteers um, that we're all the same. We're all yeah. just people, um, you know, that we all 
support and give each other an incredible amount of of love, of acceptance and community. Yeah. It's 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 like a neutralizing state. It's not about any kind of socioeconomic. It's just need and love and Exactly. And and humanity, just understanding that, you know, it's understanding that just because someone else is in need and someone else can give something that they have doesn't make one person in any different position than the other. And that's a hard thing to really understand, right? It takes, it takes, you know, it's like, it's a process of awareness. Mm -hmm. I agree. So tell us about the woven community. Okay. So the story of the, of our woman community is it came out of that going back to school midlife thing Mm -hmm. and having an assignment to do a capstone project. And at that point I was already, you know, knee deep in the topic of refugee, you know, the, the refugee work that I was doing in South Sudan, Mm -hmm. but had connected with an organization locally, which is now called Siri, the Connecticut Institute for Refugees and Immigrants, an amazing organization that, that um, provides services for more than just refugees. But um, at the time I was in this program, I connected with them because I wanted to find out more about who are the refugees in my own community. And I was, I just was shocked that we had hundreds and hundreds of refugees right five miles from me, mostly from Congo, because the way our country resettles refugees is very often to put people of from the same area together so that they can have language and community together. So um, we had over 500 Congolese and um, of course, now we're getting refugees from from Afghanistan and Ukraine, and it mm-hmm. continues to go on. But I mean, I went for fifty years of my life and didn't really even know that. Mm-hmm. Didn't even know know it. So they it was not, like they weren't visible in the community, like the larger community of, of your town. So my town is ten minutes from the city of Bridgeport, which is a city where. The, these most of the refugee families are resettled. It's a completely different inner city type community, but it's only 10 minutes away. Like many of us live 10 minutes away from different socioeconomic mm-hmm. communities. And also when refugees are resettled, the resettlement agency will help them to find housing, um, but they're really on their own after that. They get a certain stipend from the government um, per person. It's It's like I don't know, let's say it's $900 a person and then they're on their own. Can you imagine being dropped in the middle of Congo with no language and not knowing anybody and having to make it? So, you know, they're in their they're in their homes and they don't have transportation and they don't have language and they're not out in the community. So, this project just to jump into our woven community was created through doing some refugee focus groups but to bring a skill that would help not only to provide a supplemental income for refugee women, mm-hmm. but also to help 
refugee women to integrate into the community through coming to a program where they could meet other women, where they could meet volunteers. Um, they make, they learn to sew. And that came from one of them because this was a skill that they sort of had a little bit of access to. Mm-hmm. Many of them have come from living decades in refugee camps. They've had eight or nine children. They've been in refugee camps for 30 years. They've all had their families there. And then they're coming here with, you know, as many children as as they can get get over here. So the program, just to kind of in a quick you know synopsis, it provides the training through community volunteers to sew. It started out of the back of my car with a box of fabric. It's now in the community center in Bridgeport called the Burroughs Community Center. They house it. We have we make over 14 different products. They're all online now. You can find it on the Borough Center shop for our woven community, which we call OWC. And they earn enough money to pay a lot of things. Their their utility bills, some of them have bought cars. They've most of them have bridged over to now. We have a several women who are now working for an industrial sewing company. We've had several that have kind of moved on, gotten other jobs. It's a bridge program. It's hard for them to leave. We have many women that still sew for us, even though they're not really 100% there, um, because they earn a sewing machine at home after they have um, completed a certain level of training and show their commitment. Mm -hmm. They then get a sewing machine at home as well, which is a really fun day when they get that machine. We all get to get to them. And, you know, it I've been told by some of the women that there's a lot of obviously um, emotional trauma and boredom and all sorts of difficult things that they have to overcome. And the sewing machine, it relieves a lot of that for them because they they have it at home. They don't just have to use it for our products. They can make clothing. They can they can spend as much time as they want. They get a lot of fabrics that they can take home. We collect fabrics from the community that are going to be thrown out new fabrics, but it's a we recycle and we use designer fabric books and things that are going to get dumped. The sewing machine, it's like an amazing tool for like language, you can have two two women together, don't speak the same language and they can, one can teach the other. We have one of our women who does teach all the other women who started with our first group. And and one little great story is that one of the women moved on. She, She and her family were moving away to Colorado and I went to meet her at the bus stop. She was taking the bus to Colorado Oh, I, I know. And I, I went to, I didn't get to say goodbye to her. So I found out when she was leaving and I ran to the bus station and I went up the stairs of the bus to just like stick my head in. And there on her lap was her sewing machine. Aww. I know. And I was like, oh my gosh, that she took it with her on her lap. And I just. That's not easy before. to carry. <laughs> no, it's not. But they, they really, I think it meant so much in so many ways. And so, yeah, so now, as I mentioned earlier in, in our talk, there's, we have over the course of time had, you know, over whatever, 40 or 50 volunteers, maybe, I don't know how many women have come through, but let's say over 30. And it's not just the women, it's their families, like it affects their whole family. It's a force um, multiplier, right? It's uh... exactly. And we've had women come in with their babies 
still, you know, strapped along on their backs mm-hmm. with fabric uh, that, that they just swaddle them onto their backs. It's amazing. And, you know, we've, we're like a big family. So it's local. And I'm still very in touch with Gabriel, who knows that he was the inspiration for like everything that I've done since I've met him. Um, Where is he now? So he goes back and forth from Juba, South Sudan, to his family in Syracuse, New York. Wow. He's speaking in Greenwich, Connecticut, coming up. He, I just was texting with him earlier. Hopefully he'll get to stay here. But um, so his story has grown and grown and grown because when I first met him, it was 2000 and eight, I believe. And he was just selling a box of t-shirts to try to build a school that now services over a thousand children that go on to secondary school and are becoming the next generation of the first literate kids to come out of that area. Wow. Now there's an acute food crisis there. So unfortunately, that's kind of what we're dealing with now is trying to to raise money for that. But and my connection is is still strong with that. I will never leave that behind. But I, I always tell him that he brought it home for me. You know, he that trip and and going back to to learn what my purpose was through my own awareness, but also through through school and through this kind of having to put together this program and thinking locally, it's become something, you know, much, much more grounded and meaningful and still encompasses all those things that I started with. And my family's all a part of it now. So we're all, you know, they, they come to volunteer. They, they've, it's become a part of Mm -hmm. the fabric of our family. And it's not just like this kind of jumping into crazy things that it might've started out as. Right. Yeah. It's really become part of you versus something you do on one Saturday a month, right? Like some volunteer programs or projects. But, you know, in just sitting here listening to you talk about your story, it's it's that you yourself were developing your purpose, right? And it was growing and getting deeper, et cetera. But you also created a sense of purpose for these refugee women who were now here in the state of Connecticut and, you know, needing community and needing connection and needing something literally to do. And you brought that to them. You you helped bring that to them and, and just the benefit that it provided not only to them, but to their families is it's astounding. It's astounding. Yeah. It must make well, you feel really good. <laughs> well, it's funny that you say that because they are my teachers. And I'm not just, you know, saying that as kind of a cliche type of thing. These women are, I, when I see them and I think about what they've survived and I, I try to imagine myself in their shoes and I cannot, and I, they are such an inspiration for me every day to push through anything. Like, how can you even think about complaining about or wishing for or longing for when you have this kind of connection. Mm -hmm. And so I am so grateful, not only to Gabriel for having introduced me to his entire village of the most, you know, people said to me when I was leaving for that trip, you're going to be so sad. You're going to, it's going to be heartbreaking. How are you going to do it? And I came back and people asked me that. And I said, I saw people who have 
nothing in our terms, meaning nothing that we would think would be nothing, singing, dancing, celebrating life. Yeah. Happy. So, with happy. Wendy, you know? so it was not sad. It was, it was a huge lesson to me. I, when I landed back in the airport in Washington, DC, I will never forget this. I, the, uh, we walked into like a grocery market in the airport Mm-hmm. And I felt really overwhelmed with all the choices of food that we have mm-hmm. and all the things that we have here. And it it was such a stunning realization about our lives and how much excess we have. And it doesn't mean that we shouldn't have it or enjoy it or be blissful and blessed that we have it. But that trip made me understand what humanness is, where it really comes from. So it it did, it changed me a great, great deal and it grounded me. And, um, but when I say, you know, it's a journey, it's, you know, I look at my children who started this whole thing. If we were to go back to the beginning of the story and their interests, they are a step ahead of me every part of this journey in terms of their understanding and awareness of themselves, of their own spirituality, of understanding a lot of things that I didn't quite understand at first about them. Mm. And so even as we move along and now they're 30 and 32, I am so grateful for their lessons to me mm-hmm. from that beginning to now. And I'm I'm just... On the other spectrum, my parents are both 90. They're still they're still alive and well, thank goodness. That's a blessing too. But I'm like in the middle and I, I want to be open to learning and understanding as part of this journey the whole way. I don't want to wait till I get to 90 and open up to those things, which, you know, is is an easy thing to do. It's it's I mean, the easy part is waiting and holding on. The hard part is letting it go along the way. So all of this is has been on um, a continued journey for me. And I don't know, I don't know what's next with the program. COVID definitely did a number on us with regard to being able to get together. And we're still coming back from that, but we're still alive and we're still serving the women. And that's the hope that we can continue to do that. That's fabulous. Gosh, what a story. How inspiring and 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 motivating and just really great stuff, Cynthia. Thank you so much for being with me today and sharing your story. Thank you so much for listening. Listeners, if you liked today's episode, which I hope you really did because it was just fabulous, uh, please like us, share with your friends, post on social media, get the word out, the Health Ability Project. Um, and if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, you can email me at thehealthabilityproject at gmail.com. We'll see you next week. Thanks for joining us today at the Health Ability Project. We'd love to hear from you, so please email us your questions, comments, or suggestions, including future guests, to thehealthabilityproject at gmail.com. And please like us, subscribe, and share us with your friends.